If you would please take your Bibles, turn to Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. We'll read our text now, but we will actually come to it later uh, in the sermon. I want to read verses five through nine. Second Peter one five through nine. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Last Sunday, which was Easter, a part of the sermon had to do with the physicality of being human and how the resurrection affirms or reaffirms the reality that part of what it means to be human is to have a body, to have a physical body. I want to pursue this a little bit more and then move on to something else connected to this and hopefully lead us into a new series. I want to do this, I want to answer, try to begin to answer the question, what does it mean to be human? First of all, there is the whole physicality aspect of it. The reality of human beings involving the physical seems to be something that people want to avoid. In part, it's just my opinion, because of the limitations that are involved. That when you have a body, you can only be in one place at one time. Whereas if you were a spirit, or if you were just mental energy, it seems like you would not be bound by those limitations. There are limitations, by the way, if you're a spirit, because you can't be omnipresent, only God can, and you can't, in fact, know all things. But to begin to answer the question, what does it mean to be human, we must, in fact, deal with the fact of the physical, the body. And as we've done in the past, let's do so in the light of creation, fall, and redemption. That is what God intended in the beginning, what happened as a result of sin, and what now, because of the death of Jesus and his resurrection, we now see in these matters. As the Bible opens in Genesis chapter 1, we find the creation of the physical universe. And on the last day of creating, God made a human being in his image. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This tells us of the creating of Adam. Later on in chapter 2, with regard to Eve, so the man caused, or the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a man from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to him. So we see that humanity originally came from the dust of the ground, and this includes Eve, who came from Adam. Adam was made from the dust, and she was made from him. Some would argue that this is not to be taken literally. But if you continue to read the account, you find that God prepared a physical place for them to live in. Eden, a physical place, a garden. The whole earth was not a garden, simply the Garden of Eden was. And man, who was newly created, inexperienced, needed to be sheltered, but not smothered. And so he has freedom within certain parameters. He lives in the Garden of Eden. And there he can learn to discover. He, the animals come to him and he names them. 
He is surrounded by beauty on every side. We read, And the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Pleasing to the eye and good for food. Physical. He could see them and he could taste the fruit that came from them. When God made Eve, uh, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So what we find in the creation is the creating of humanity in physical form, physical existence. Now what happens in the fall? Adam and Eve were given instructions as a test of their confidence in the Creator. They were to do certain things, but there was one thing they were not supposed to do. And as we know, they failed the test. And among the consequences was physical death. God tells Adam, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Um, People question whether or not we should take literally what we find in Genesis 1 and 2 with regard to the creating of humanity. But there can be no question that the consequence of their disobedience is a returning to the ground where they came from. And humanity has been marked by death ever since. If you read Genesis chapter 5, you will find time and time again, then he died, then he died, then he died. The rest of the Old Testament is an account of physical events, beginning with the first murder. You have the flood, you have the Tower of Babel, the call of Abraham, and it goes on. The pivotal event in the Old Testament is the Exodus in which God delivers his people out of slavery. They are physically slaves in Egypt, and God delivers them in a mighty way. They were doing manual labor, and God delivers them. He sends a number of plagues, which were experienced physically by the Egyptians. They weren't hallucinations. They, in fact, were things that really happened to these people. Israel is delivered. They go to Mount Sinai, where God gives the law to Moses. And after 40 years in the wilderness, they arrive at the promised land, a physical location. I don't want to belabor the point, but just so we are clear, the Old Testament is about real people, physical people in real physical locations. And then we come to redemption. It is at this point that people might want to opt out for a spiritual understanding, that Jesus came to save our souls, that he is interested in our souls. But stop and think a minute. We just said Jesus came, Jesus came into the world. He had physical existence. John tells us in his prologue, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The accounts of the Gospels tell us of a physical being, a human being named Jesus, who said and did things with other physical human beings. There are those who like what Jesus had to say, but they don't really believe that he existed. Um, or that he was a real person. Well, the words, how did the words, the things he said, how did they happen? Did they just magically appear out of thin air? Jesus was a man and he spoke these words and the, the gospel writers give us an account of these things. If there is, in fact, any doubt, the truth of physicality, the reality of his resurrection, in fact, should confirm it to us. That's why many people reject the resurrection because it's sort of a domino effect. If you can reject that, then you can reject that Jesus was physical. Then, in fact, you can deny the physicality or the importance of the physicality of being human. 
So we saw last Sunday in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection of Jesus is in fact the beginning of our resurrection, which will happen one day in the future. At this juncture, I'd point out that there are those who would discount the physical aspect of humanity as being important. Um, and I, I, I would just have to say, at, at what point do you see that? Do you see it in creation? Do you see it in the fall? Do you see it in redemption? At one point does having a physical body become unimportant? Adam was created as a physical being. The human race, deeply flawed, is made up of human beings, physical beings. And Jesus came into the world as a human being, born of Mary. He lived a physical life. He experienced what we do, hunger and thirst. And he suffered a physical death. And then he was raised physically from the dead. So at this point, what it means to be human, I think, involves having a body. There is the physical aspect of what it means to be human. Let's talk about another aspect of what it means to be human. And here I want to talk about memory or remembering. Remembering can be seen as a wonderful gift. But for all the wonders of remembering, there are dangers. We might be tempted to live in the past and our memories become sentimental. Or we might remember what we would rather forget and be plagued I think throughout our lives by memories of things that we did that we wish we had not done and say to ourselves, I can't believe I did that. We can live under the burden of the things we have done in the past. Remembering is sort of a two-edged sword. It's wonderful and yet there are difficulties at the same time. Forgetting is oftentimes seen as a negative thing. You forget an appointment, you're supposed to go see someone and you don't show up. Um, and there are things that we, we become sad where we, like, we can't remember particular events or particular people. Have you ever forgotten somebody's name and you go up to see them and they remember you and for the life of you, you cannot remember their names. You forget where you put your car keys. Um, forgetting seems to be an indication that we are flawed beings. Um, I saw a bumper sticker once that said, everyone has a photographic memory, some just don't have film. And there are times when I don't feel like I have film. And yet at the same time, there are things that we have forgotten that I think we are very glad that we have forgotten. What does the Bible say about being human and memory, remembering and forgetting? Again, let's consider in terms of creation, fall and redemption. In terms of creation, the Bible does not directly tell us anything about memory in the creation account. But there are implied truths. Man is made in God's image. And this points to a number of things, but I think it points to mental and intellectual ability, the ability to remember. See, because man as a human being is capable of growth, and in order to grow, he has to remember Man is given instructions. You, are, you can eat from all the trees. You cannot eat from this one tree. You need to remember that. Uh, the animals have no such charge. The animals are not given that capacity. They're not made in the image of God. They don't receive a word from God. Man is called to do certain things. There is a course, and he is to remember to do that. By the way, when... when God makes Eve and brings him to Adam. Adam says, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And the next morning, he still knows who she is. He remembers her. He doesn't say, who are you again? 
And again, I'm reading into it, but I think there was a place for memory in the time of creation. I would say that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was not because they forgot. Okay, when you read the account, it wasn't, oh, I forgot, I'm not supposed to do that. They, in fact, knew that they were not supposed to do that, and they did it anyway. Now let's talk about fall. And again, though the Bible doesn't say it directly, I think one of the things we see about humanity is that we tend to forget. We forget important things. We forget our relationship to God. Cain and Abel do remember, and they bring offerings, but Cain forgets something very important, and when God challenges him, he is quite angry about his rejection. And then Cain forgets that his brother is his brother, and that is someone he is supposed to love. And when confronted, where's your brother Abel? He says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are to remember that. And what we see in the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament as well is that human beings forget who they are. In chapter 6, we are told that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. We were not made for evil, and yet somehow humanity has forgotten that, and evil becomes the focus of our existence. The rest of the Old Testament is a testimony to man's forgetting. Then we come to redemption. And the foundation of redemption is that God remembers. I really want, I want you to remember that. That God remembers. After the account of the flood, which God used to destroy all humanity except for the eight people and the ark, we read, but God remembered Noah. It's wonderful words. It doesn't mean that God had forgotten about Noah. It means that in contrast to his judgment on all humanity, he remembered, he loved, and he remembered his man, Noah, and his family. As one writer put it, God's remembering always implies his movement toward the object of his memory. A number of times in the Old Testament, there are women who cannot have children. And we, re we read the words that God remembered Rachel. And she conceived Joseph. Listen to the prayer of Hannah, who prayed to God for a child. O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord. So in redemption, we need to remember that the basis is God's remembering, God's memory, which is perfect when ours is not. Okay? What is memory for us as God's redeemed people? We need to remember that we are to remember where we came from, that we are God's people. For Israel, God tells them time again, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. We are to remember where we came from. We are to remember that it is the Lord who has saved us. Second Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. We need to remember what God has done for us. There's a wonderful psalm, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, David tells us. He turned and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, 
out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. We are to remember what God has done for us. And what enables us to do this in part is to remember God's word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Back to our text, you will see, if you look at verse number 12, Peter continues what he is saying in this last epistle of his. He says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. What are these things that Peter's talking about? They're found in our text. What one writer has called the ladder of faith. Um, On the foundation of faith, we are to add goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And if we do this, Peter tells us, will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive, unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What happens if we don't remember? What happens if we don't do these things? Then we will become nearsighted and blind, and we will forget that we have been cleansed from our past sins. I did a whole series on memory. I don't want to redo it now, but I would remind you of three things. I would mention three things that God has given us to help us with our memories, which are defective, are fallen, they are sinful, but they're in the process of being transformed. First of all, God has given us his word, in part to help us not only to learn, but to remember. Secondly, he has given us today, the Lord's Day, Sunday, It is a way to be reminded, and if I might just say my own opinion, I have a sense that Sunday is not held in high regard, even among God's people. Um, It is to be a reminder to us. Jesus was raised from the dead on the first day of the week, and all the gospel writers emphasize this fact. It is the beginning of something new, and Sunday is set aside as the Lord's Day. Side note, some people say, is Sunday the new Sabbath? And I would, uh, we could argue about that, but I would say in many ways it is not. The Sabbath had a different function on the Sabbath. People were to rest. On the Lord's Day, we are to worship. But both of them are reminders. The Sabbath is a reminder of creation, that on the seventh day, God rested from creating. And Sunday, the Lord's Day, reminds us that Jesus was raised from the dead. So they both have the same function, to remind us. Then the third thing I think that we've been given to help remind us is the Lord's Supper. The night before Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and put on trial, ultimately put to death, he inaugurated what Paul calls the Lord's Supper. Its purpose is that we would remember, and if you were listening as I read before communion, twice we are told that it is to be done in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Thus the Lord has provided us a means of remembering which involves not only our minds but our bodies as well because we are physical beings and it is in fact to help us remember what Jesus has done for us.
Give me a minute here. As redeemed people, memory is important. So what we've seen thus far and what it means to be human, it includes having physical existence, being physical beings, having bodies and memory. In a poem that was written while in prison, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran minister, was imprisoned by the Nazis and eventually they would execute him. He wrote, Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Or am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptibly woebegone weakling? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. I think the questions that Bonhoeffer asks are similar to questions that people ask today. I think it weighs heavily on many people. They want to know who they are. What does it mean to be human? I think part of the reason that this weighs so heavily today is because people have forgotten that there is someone who knows us better than we know ourselves, and he knows who we are. By the way, I left out the last line of Bonhoeffer's poem. Let me read it again, and this time include the last line. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others and before myself, contemptibly woebegone weakling? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. As another writer put it, in the end, only God knows who we are. Only God can search our hearts and recognize who we really are. God creates us, sustains us, and knows us. Now you might be wondering, where am I going with all of this? Talking about what it means to be human. The physical, having physicality as well as memory. Um, Consider the following scenario. Somehow... I'm involved in a terrible accident and perhaps I lose a limb, an arm or a leg or I become disabled, I'm no longer able to walk or I become disfigured or simply in the course of time as I get older my faculties don't work as well my hearing perhaps is not as good my sight might might diminish might not be as good as it was what would you think? what would you think? If I were to become, in Peter's words, even though he's using it figuratively, if I were to become nearsighted or blind, what would you think? Would you imagine somehow that I am less of a Christian? That somehow my spiritual state is diminished or in danger? I would say probably not. You probably wouldn't think that. But what if my memory were to fade? What if, in fact, I were to lose much of my memory. What would you think? What if in Peter's words, I would have forgotten even something as basic as the reality that I have put my faith in the Lord Jesus? What would you think? 
one could make the case that we have put too much of the burden on ourselves rather than God's grace. Remember that in redemption with memory, it is based on God's remembering, not ours. What I hope to do in the weeks to come is to guide us in developing what I would call a theology of forgetting. What happens when we can no longer remember? Some of this have, some have dealt with this uh, with regard to older relatives. For some of us, as we get older, we are closer to this reality than we care to admit. For some, the time may come when you will have to face this with your parents and then yourselves. And if we think this about this and stretch it out a bit, we also need to consider those who are born disabled, who have mental and intellectual challenges. How do we see them in the grace of God? How do we see them in terms of redemption? I suspect, even though we've never articulated this, that somehow we view the Christian faith as something that is only for those who have strong mental abilities. Because when we read things like Paul says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus is Christ, you will be saved. So somehow we imagine that this is only for those who have clear thoughts, those who have good memories. I want us to consider in the days to come a theology of forgetting, a theology of faulty memory, and what this means for the Christian faith. I will tell you this, though. I'll tell you the end before we get to that. And that is, although we may not remember, God always remembers, and we live in the memory of God. My, my memory may fade. It may one day fade. But God's will not. And what is more important, that I remember God or, or that God remembers me? And for those of diminished capacity, for those of diminished ability, do we somehow put them in a separate category and say, well, you know, you, you can't do the things that Paul says you need to do. So you must not be a believer. Lord willing, in the weeks to come, we will look at this. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you do remember us. We would freely confess that far too often we forget. We forget that you created us, that you love us, you sustain us, that we are your people. And if the truth were to be told, if our salvation depends on our memory, we would be in serious trouble. If our sanctification depended on our remembering, uh, I don't think we'd get very far. I think in many ways, in the modern world, we have taken more upon ourselves than we should have. And we use words like grace, but we still think of our abilities and our merit of what you give us. May we in the weeks to come see that you are the one who remembers.
that we live in your memories. We are your people. And when those around us or we ourselves may begin to fade, it does not diminish your grace in our lives. May we come to see that and trust you as a father who loves his frail children, his feeble children, even his forgetting children. Thank you for bringing us together today to worship you. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.